Welcome to Wealth Curve Talk, hosted by John L. Smallwood, a certified financial planner and president of Smallwood Wealth Management, with over 30 years experience helping people with wealth management strategies, financial planning, business ownership, estate planning, insurance, and more. John shares insight with you that you can use to gain financial confidence and peace of mind. And now, here's your host, best-selling author and six-time five-star Wealth Manager Award winner, John L. Smallwood. Hello, this is John Smallwood. Today, we're going to talk about the seven biggest tax increases that are coming from the Biden administration or that have been proposed is a better way to put this. On Friday, May 28th, the Biden administration released the $6 trillion budget for the upcoming year. The budget projects trillion-dollar deficits, 1.9% GDP growth, and assumes no changes to inflation all over the next 10 years. This is kind of interesting because healthy GDP is north of 3% to keep job growth kind of in place. And inflation is the talk right now. Everybody's talking about inflation, right? And inflation numbers are really under-projected. What's really important is there's seven of them that I'm going to go through. They're all going to impact most people that are listening to this in some form or fashion. So it's important that we understand what could potentially be coming, and two, when it could happen, and three, once you digest this and we, when we understand this, we need to really start to think about our own personal financial strategies and how is how are we currently exposed and what can we do to mitigate or reduce the impact of these tax proposals. What's interesting is the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 reduced the corporate tax down to about 21%, and they're trying to bring it back up to 28% which is a significant impact. And that really affects corporations like C-corporations that pay tax internally as opposed to a pass-through entity. So that 28% tax rate, again, puts corporations in a position where they're paying significantly higher taxes, which is going to create a drag. And instead of money flowing in as it has over the last five years, the concept in my brain would be that money would... Corporate money would try to flee offshore again, trying to find you know tax havens. What they're looking for from an effective date that he released last week on this is taxable years after twelve thirty one of twenty twenty one, and if you have an entity that doesn't have on you know calendar year, in essence, if you have a September close for your for your C corporation, it would be. In January of 21, that's where that would become effective. So corporate tax rate is going to create a drag. The big thing that I see, number two, is the capital gains and dividend rate. Now, from what I saw, there's a distinction right now in the tax law where there are dividends that are taxed as ordinary income, and there are qualified dividends that are taxed as capital gain. So this is impacting that qualified dividend rate, which right now the maximum bracket is 20%. But if you're in, you know, below certain numbers in the current tax law, 
there's not a lot of tax. It could be 15%, it could be 10%, in some cases it could even be zero in the current tax law. So it'd be interesting to see the detail that they're trying to accomplish that if they're going to bring this capital gain rate up from 20% to basically 43%, which is includes that net in, you know, it's 39.6 plus the Medicare tax, which brings it up to, or the net investment income tax, which brings up to about 43.4% for taxpayers with adjusted gross income of more than a million dollars. Here's the thing. They're talking about, in the proposal, effective the end of April 2021. So it's a retro tax that he's talking about here. So not at the end of the year, not next year, but April of 2021. Now, as I recall... President Clinton, when he put his tax plan in place, I think it was approved sometime in June, and it was retro to the beginning of the year. Um, so any move that you made during the year, you made it without it without knowledge of what your true tax bracket was going to be. And in most cases, people were hit with significantly higher taxes. So this retro tax, you know, if you took a gain in May in your portfolio thinking you were paying little or no tax or 50, you know, 20% plus the net investment income tax plus your state, you're not going to be paying significantly more taxes depending on the size of the gain. So this is a big concern because when you, when you look at some of the other podcasts, you look at some of the other stuff that we've done online, we have this idea of the wealth curve and the compounding of wealth, right? The compounding of wealth is wonderful, but it's destroyed by compound taxation. And what we see is the higher the tax, like you could see conceptually, you know, a bucket of capital, $100,000, you know, invested today, growing at a nice rate of return where there are dividends and interest and short-term gains and long-term gains and qualified dividends, all getting taxed at low rates. You double that taxation or dramatically increase it, the amount of wealth that's lost due to the taxation is unbelievable. Uh, you could lose, you, know, you see those big mountain charts where, you know, investment mutual fund A was created, you know, 50, 60 years ago. If you put your $10,000 in to be worth a few million dollars today, all those charts don't talk about the taxation of it. So you look at that and you say, well, if I had a, if I didn't have any other money and I had to pay the tax from the account, it's going to take away 50-60% of that gain over that time frame. So if you thought you were going to have hypothetically $2 million after taxes, you might have less than a million dollars. This will drive that down even lower. So this is a really important tax planning change that affects pretty much everybody trying to accumulate wealth. The corporate tax doesn't affect a lot of people. This is impactful. And you need to you really need to understand or, you know do something to make sure that we don't get this. Now, here's something that's interesting. Number three, gift and death. Gifts and death. So a lot of people are talking about gifting money to their family. And, you know, we have the largest part of the population is growing. Uh, the baby boomer population, they're, they've accumulated a significant amount of wealth. And what they're talking about is a gift and death treated as realization event by the donor or decedent, triggering immediate taxable income. This is for gifts after 20, after December 31st of 2021, but that's creating taxable events 
in that. They didn't talk about, in the proposal on Friday, they didn't talk about changing the $22 million exemption and, and the estate tax rates, but, they, but they're basically dropping a trigger event in there that creates taxation. Now, there are some caveats for small businesses that we saw that could you know, limit the taxation on a small business till after it's either been sold or at some other point. But you could be seeing, you know, millions of dollars due on portfolios. So if you think about number two, right, where we had the capital gain rate going to 39.6, you've been sitting on a large stock portfolio for years, and that creates a taxable event at that moment which is, you know, now you get a step up in basis and there's no income taxes. So, and if it's 39.6, it's actually worse than a state tax at the point because you don't have the exemption. So it's really like, this is a, this is something that needs to be explored in a lot more detail and really need to dig through. If you're looking to pass wealth from one generation to the next generation, or you have significant, you know, appreciated property, this creates a significant problem for a lot of families. Um, you know, a lot of these assets, when, when we think about them, could be real estate, could be family businesses, could be, you know, significant interest in business. The, the detail's not there, but it could be uh, a home that you purchased many, many, many years ago for, you know, like my parents bought their first house and, you know, it was like Forty-three thousand dollars in nineteen seventy-one or something to that nature, and those houses are all worth a million dollars today. That could create a significant taxable gain at that moment when they die. Um, that's painful um, because you have to now. If you ha- you know the timing of the tax, I got lost in the details there and got sick as I was going through it. But the idea is that. If you have to sell something to pay tax or you don't have liquidity elsewhere, you have to start paying taxes, you, you're forced into, you know, when you have to sell something quickly, you typically have to sell it at a reduction. Um, and you can see an onslaught of, you know, things coming on the market and things having to be sold, which would have, could have devastating impacts to, you know, the real estate market could have devastating impacts to, you know, the stock market because there's people just selling to raise taxes. So it's pretty significant. Number four, dynasty trusts. They're going after the dynasty trust, which you may or may not know about the dynasty trust, but dynasty trust is a trust that's created that has an infinite life to it. You know, typically over 90 years, depending on the state and the registration where you have it. Um, Some states have a rule against perpetuities, which means a trust can't be in effect for more than 99 years. But some states, New Jersey, Delaware, Florida, trust can be in effect forever. And if you think about it, the Kennedys, the DuPonts, the Rockefellers have had significant wealth in dynasty trusts outside of their estates forever. And they don't pay inheritance tax, you know, and they don't it has wonderful asset protection and it used to be only reserved for the super wealthy. And now, you know, people that have five, $600,000 and want to pass wealth to their kids, the dynasty trust is a wonderful tool because it protects it from creditors and business creditors and divorces and potential inheritance tax. Um, what they're talking about is any unrealized gain inside of a trust 
partnership or other non-corporate entity for 90 years would be deemed taxable. You know, but this won't come into effect till 2030. So there's a little bit of time. But that would basically, you know, you bought a family business in it. You bought stocks in a dynasty trust. You bought real estate in a dynasty trust. It would be creating a significant tax in the moment. And that would be capital gain tax, which brings me back to number two, which would be, for a lot of people, would be 43.4% plus the state that you reside in and pay taxes in. That's devastating. Number five, the repeal of 1031 tax-free exchanges. So a lot of people don't know about this, but a lot most people do. You have a piece of real estate that's non-primary residence. It's a, it's a piece of land. It's a commercial property generating rents. It's some sort of investment property. And you can, you know, you, let's say you bought a piece of property for $500,000 and now it's worth $1.5 million. You can sell it through this 1031 exchange, you know, provision of the tax law. It goes into what's called a qualified intermediary. There's no taxation. You go buy the next piece of property. That's a tax-free exchange from one property to the other property. And this is very powerful because if you think about it, if I bought the same $500,000 investment in a stock and I decided to sell my stock and buy a new stock, I'm paying taxes on that. There's no tax-free exchange unless it's in a qualified plan, right? But the significance of this is that the elimination of any gain of 1031 exchange of any gain over $500,000, you know, significantly impacts the, the real estate market. Because when you think about value and you think about why would I want to be investing in something, the the economic principles and the tax benefits associated with real estate, such as depreciation, such as the 1031 exchange, such as under the tax code of 2017, the net rental incomes qualify for qualified business income. So if you had $50,000 worth of you know positive rental income after depreciation, you were getting a 20% deduction on that under the 199A qualified business income that you'd pay tax on 40. So there were significant tax benefits, which the, you know, eliminating the 1031 for exchanges completed after tax years of 1231-21. So there's going to be, you know, a big uh, amount of 1031, you know, going on. But one of the programs of 1031s is that you're, you're, you're doing this over and over into the years, right? You're, you might, take property A by B, then by C, then by D, because in any piece of real estate that you're going to own, there's going to be a time to buy it and there's going to be time to sell it. So on the back end of this, you know, you may not, five years from now, you may be paying taxes at a significantly higher level because of what's happening. This affects, this has a ripple effect through the economy, right? This has a ripple effect is, you know, oh, I don't have any of this, but it goes on every single day and it, the amount of wealth that's maintained through this and that is reinvested back into our economies and reinvested back in building and improving and equipment and refitting and tiling and, you know, all those little things you think about, they all get impacted by this. So this is, this is significant. Um, 
the the top marginal bracket, okay? So right now when you think about marginal brackets, the top this is number 6, by the way, the individual tax rate increased from 37% to 39.6 effective next year. It's significant because in the current tax law, you don't hit the 37% tax bracket until a little bit uh, married finally joint. I'm going to get my cheat sheet here. Sorry for the noise. But married filing joint, 628000 You don't hit, so any income, any adjusted gross income over 628000 is taxed at 37%. If you're in the 329 to 418, let's just call it 418, right? 418,000 to 628, you're actually in a 35% effective bracket. So this 39.6 is getting targeted at incomes above 400,000. So there's a significant increase for 400,000 and up at your adjusted gross income. It's not just 37 to 39.6, it's really 35 for these taxpayers that are going to get hit in this. And that extra 5%, like if you think about savings rate, most people don't save enough money, right? They don't save the proper percentage of their income, and they're saving somewhere between 5 and 10% of their gross income. And, you know, that's a whole problem in itself. But if all of a sudden I've got my budget, I've got kids going to college, I've got the mortgage, I've got, you know, obligations to mom and dad, I've got all this stuff, all this pressure going on, and all of a sudden the tax rates go up by 5% to me, what's going to give, right? My savings rate's going to give, which now puts me at more, you know, I'm more, I'm more at risk of not accumulating enough money and not being able to maintain my retirement, you know, my income or my standard of living through retirement, which is a whole purpose of what we're trying to do for everybody every single day, which is do this, right? So this 39.6, you go back to number two, right, which was the capital gain rate going to 43%. Now you start to visualize that timeline again, that wealth creation. So when you think about your portfolio, you have interest, dividends being taxed one way, qualified dividends, capital gains being taxed, you know, at 20% versus 37%. Now you're jacking up the 39.6 on interest. You're jacking up the 39.6 on uh, dividends, your capital gains. Realize short-term, long-term capital gains, the amount of pressure that's coming down on this. Or let's really think about this, right? I've been deferring in my qualified plan for 22 years, 30 years, whatever it is. And I've been deferring at pretty damn low rates along that time frame, right? Historically, some of the lowest tax rates we've ever had. I have a, on my YouTube channel, there's a history of the U.S. marginal tax bracket I did a few years ago that goes back and it talks about taxes starting in, you know, 1915 or something like that. And they were temporary tax to refund the Spanish-American war debt. And it was a temporary tax, like something like 28%. Then it went up to 90% for about 20 years. And we're down at some of the lowest tax rates that we've ever been. So, if you think about your qualified plan for a second, 401k, IRA, SEP IRA, et cetera, right? All of a sudden, you know, I've been, you know, what's been your effective tax bracket? What's been your marginal tax bracket? Difference between effective and marginal. Most people don't understand that is 
effective is basically the average tax that you pay because you're paying taxes in bands. The marginal tax bracket, which is where your deductions happen, the marginal bracket is where your last dollars are being taxed. So if your income is married, filing joint over 628000 in the current tax law, your marginal bracket is 37%. Your effective bracket is probably 21%. So you got to look at what the deduction is. But let's say that I have a million dollars in my qualified retirement plan and the tax exposure on that is going from, let's say, effective 35, 32, depending upon your wealth and where you are, to 39.6. And then what I didn't see in the detail, perhaps somebody listening to this can tell me, is if the triggering event is death, and the SECURE Act a few years ago, the, the SECURE Act basically said, which was December of 19, and then the pandemic hit and nobody remembers the SECURE Act. But it really impacted IRAs from the standpoint of if I have a qualified plan and I die and my spouse you know, my spouse has died or after my spouse dies, that money was going to go to inherited IRA for the benefit of the kid, okay? And that kid could be 25, 30 years old, and now they only have to take a required minimum distribution based on their their age and their life expectancy, which on a 30-year-old is, you know, probably one-fortieth of the account. So it's really nothing, right? And they get that deferral and that power through it. So the SECURE Act comes out in 2019 and says, oh, an IRA must be withdrawn in a 10-year period. So it doesn't have to be done every single year, but there's no more deferral through your lifetime. By the 10th year from death, that IRA must be zero. So the question is, do I pay the tax now? Do I spread it out over three, four, five, 10 years? What's the tax bracket going to be you know, in 10 years? There's a lot of issues. My question is, which I don't see, is if death is a triggering event, am I triggering that 40% tax? Because it creates everything that becomes taxable income to the taxpayer, and you're filing your deceased you know, tax, <laughs> tax return, that's income. Right now, it's considered income in respect of a decedent, so therefore, it could be fully taxed at the estate, or you can roll it over to a deceased IRA and defer it for a couple of years, but that could be extremely powerful. So you think about this. My living value, everything I've deferred at these lower brackets, if I've been successful and I've accumulated a significant amount of wealth in my qualified retirement plan, the money coming out could be taxed at a higher rate than when I put it in. The sole purpose of tax deferral is to defer taxes from a high bracket to a low bracket. If you don't achieve that, you really haven't achieved anything. The, you know, for example, you put 10000 in the 401k plan and you're in the 37% bracket, you save $3,700 in taxes. It's deferred in the plan. And the goal is, when I take it out, am I going to get it out at 20%? If I get it out at 20%, huge windfall, right? I just, even without making a return, I've made a lot of money because of the tax thing. Most people, if they're successful, they're actually taking money out at a higher tax bracket, effective or marginal. Right, Because when I put it in, the the deduction occurs at the marginal. When I take it out, it's basically my effective tax bracket. So if I don't have the tax arbitrage, why am I doing it? Now I got all this money, and all of a sudden, I have everything was retroed to 39.6. And if I die, boom, does that trigger it? I, I, you know, more to come, right? Because this is not 
something that's here, but this is a huge destructor of wealth, a high financial pressure thing that we, that you need to understand how that's going to impact you. Now, number seven, that was pretty big in there is the carried interest, which, you know, if hedge funds and that doesn't really affect a lot of people, but instead of not paying tax and deferring it, it's taxed as ordinary income after December 31st. That'll put a lot of pressure on financial markets because the economics of tax-free and tax control is basically eliminated in that. In that. Now, what you have to understand here is all of these budget proposals that are brought to us by any president at any time, basically... These policy priorities, the Congress has to enact these. So it's up to the Congress to decide whether or not to accept some or all or none of these proposals. And some of these proposals, why we think it's going to hit, you know, the high net worth people, it's going to hit everybody. It's going to create these things are going to create some pretty significant pain for a lot of people. Um, I, I am, you know. It's got a lot of pressure. Um, it, it's going to cause a lot of changes in what we're going to call, you know, planning mode, etc. We need to rethink a lot of things that we've been doing for a lot of years and how we're, you know, how you're controlling the taxation. Because I feel like you're losing control of how you're going to be taxed and when you're going to be taxed. It's forcing a lot of tax to be paid in this in these proposals. So hopefully they don't go through. Um, at the same level that they're talking about, they get modified, they get reduced, they get eliminated. But it, we really need to rally around the Congress to let them know how we feel about this. Um, this is something that is sig- a significant issue. So one of the things that that we do all the time is we do this, you know, how do I take advantage of this? How do I benefit from this, right? How do I understand how I'm impacted by this? The key to that is really understanding how you're impacted currently now. And what we do for a lot of clients is we, you know, for all of our clients, we do what we call a wealth curve blueprint, which is a snapshot of everything uh, that you have, income, taxes, savings rate, assets, et cetera, cost basis, really understanding where the financial pressures are in your plan. We begin with what we call a wealth curve conversation. It's a 30 to 40 minute conversation that's free. It's no obligation. And it's about you and your wealth. It's not about us because we don't, you know, my credentials and what I do doesn't matter. It's how can I help you? Where, what are the pressures that you're faced with? Let's talk about your family. Let's talk about your income. Let's talk about your current tax situation, your current saving, your current deck structure, your current lifestyle the assets that you have, all the future obligations that are coming, you know, colleges and weddings and bar mitzvahs and goals that you have, you know, buy a boat, buy a country club, you know, buy, not buy a country club, but buy into a country club, become a member, whatever that is, kitchen renovations, improvements, businesses. There's so many goals that you have. And then how well is your wealth protected? And that conversation, once we have this conversation with a you know, a person that's not a client, we have a clear path of what we have to do in order to go through this. You also get to understand, is this a good place for me to align my financial future with? The goal is everybody has to 
build wealth because the old ways of building wealth are under attack. And I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Five Ways Your Wealth's Under Attack, which now it's more. It's more than five ways, right? There was always more than five ways. The most recent book, which is an Amazon bestseller, is It's Your Wealth, Keep It. It's available on Amazon. It gives you an indication of what's going on. But I encourage you to take advantage of this wealth curve conversation. You can go to the, the website smallwoodwealth.com and you can sign up for a free, no obligation conversation with one of our wealth advisors. Um, and I think it's one of the best conversations you'll ever have about your wealth. And regardless of what industry that you're in, um, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer, there are things that are going on in your plan that you are not accounting for, that are going to surprise you in the future. Let's find out where they are, and let's figure out how we can do that. As I get more on this topic of these tax law changes, I'll come back to you with some ideas here. So really appreciate the time today. Uh, check out our website. We have a lot of information on there. We have, you know, I think over 85, 86 podcasts recorded on all different types of topics affecting the financial pressure in your life. We have a couple uh, guides that you can download, the 19 sources of retirement income. That's a free, no obligation. You know, you give me your email, I email it to you, or I don't, the system does, right? But you can opt out if you don't want to get the information from us going forward. Um, We want to work with people that want to work with us, and we want to help you create a long-term plan, and we're here for the long run. We're not here for a short-term, you know, flash-in-the-pants type thing. So look forward to hearing from you. Come back to me with some ideas, anything that you think that's important, but hang on to your pocketbook because it's your wealth. Keep it, and they're coming after it. Talk to you later. Wealth Curve Talk with John L. Smallwood is brought to you by Smallwood Wealth Management, an investment advisor representative. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone, and the information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action as information and or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Smallwood Wealth Management provides content that is true and accurate as of the date of publishing. However, we give no assurance or warranty regarding the accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this website or podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, misleading, or defamatory statements. Thank you for listening.